the Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, chicks, chainmail, blandishments, punishments, and sweetmeat condiments served in the Bailey Courtyard by our gladiatorial waitstaff. Plus, we continue with our complete audiobook serialization of John Ringo's Under a Graveyard Sky. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain editor Tony Daniel. Our associate editor, David F. Sherrod, returns this time with an interview with editors and writers in the new entry in the Chicks and Chainmail humor short story anthology, Chicks in Balances. This series features girls being girls, that is, girls with swords, magic, and puns, puns that strike the left side of the brain like a stiletto of agony, I might say. The roundtable includes series editor Esther Friesner, editor John Helfers, authors Robin Wayne Bailey, Jim C. Hines, Lee Martindale, and Harry Turtledove. And David caught up with Jody Lynn Nye as well, another contributor. So stick around, that's going to be fun. You may have noticed that I asked David to host the podcast when we have a short story anthology to discuss. One reason for this is that David will usually have to read the anthology no matter what, since he's the editor of Bain's new yearly offering, The Year's Best Military SF and Space Opera, and he loves short stories. This is out at Booksellers Now, by the way, The Year's Best Military SF and Space Opera, and we are collecting votes for the best story in that anthology. There's going to be a big award to the author of that story. There's a webpage to vote, and if you pick up the book or the ebook, there are further instructions therein. The author of the winning entry will receive an extra 500 bucks for his or her fine work and a sweet-looking plaque to be given away at this year's Dragon Con in Atlanta during the Bain Roadshow we put on there. So get the anthology and vote for your favorite story in there. I think uh, you'll find all of them are pretty, pretty good. So authors and editors of Chicks and Balance is coming up, but first here's the news. The July mass markets have been traveling through space for millions of years, billions of years in some cases, well, book years, and are now raining down upon us from the sky of literature like comets of hope and glory. Anyway, the July mass markets are out, and they include Islands of Rage and Hope by John Ringo. This is book three in the four-book Black Tide Rising series by John Ringo. The heroic Smith family has taken to the sea and learn to fight back against the zombie infected that have taken over most of the land, and they are ready to attempt to take back their first portion of land and maybe rescue a few pockets of survivors who uh, otherwise believed they were doomed. The series starts with Under a Graveyard Sky, of course, which we are serializing now in audiobook form on the podcast. Stand by for part five of that and get part three of the series, Islands of Rage and Hope by John Ringo. Also out is... The Rods and the Axe. This is a book in Tom Crapman's Carrera series. We're back with Carrera in Balboa, the country on a sister world to Earth, where he has successfully resisted the totalitarian clutches of both secular and Islamic extremist governments, but where he's poised for another invasion attempt from his neighbors who are serving as Earth's proxy, he being Carrera, of course. I'm a big fan of Crapman's stuff, and I was absolutely blown away by the book that started this series, A Desert Called Peace, and this one continues in the fine tradition. Islands of Rage and Hope and The Rods and the Axe are available now at booksellers everywhere. Hi, it's David F. Shirerod here. It's good to be back on the Bain Free Radio Hour. Today we are talking about fearless women warriors who have a sense of humor just as sharp as the tips of their spears and edges of their swords. The Chicks in Chainmail series is back with an all-new anthology of top-notch stories. This one's titled Chicks and Balances, and it will be out July 7th. Uh, you may have read the previous entries in the series, Chicks in Chainmail, Chicks in, Ch in Chained Males, Did You Say Chicks, Turn the Other Chick, 
The Chick is in the Mail, and the Omnibus Chicks Ahoy. If you like those, you're sure to like Chicks and Balances, and if you're a newcomer to the series, well, I think you're in for a real treat. Joining us today to discuss the new anthology is Nebula Award winner Esther M. Friesner. She is the author of more than 40 novels including the popular Princess of Myth series, as well as almost 200 short stories. She's also the reason we're talking today. Back in 1995, she created the Chicks in Chainmail series when she edited the original uh, entry, Chicks in Chainmail. Uh, she's also the co-editor of Chicks and Balances, as well as the editor of the, all the previous books in the series. Esther, thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Also here is John Helfers. He's published more than 50 short stories in various anthologies, such as Shattered Shields, out now from Bane Books. His media tie-in fiction has appeared in anthologies, game books, and novels for the Dragonlance, Transformers, and Golem Arcana universes, among others. Though this is uh, the first time his name appears on the cover of a Chicks and Chainmail book, he shares a long history with the series, having assisted on the previous four volumes during his 16 years at Techno Books under Martin H. Greenberg. Uh, he's here today as the co-editor of Chicks and Balances. John, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, David, and thank you for that great introduction. Um, glad to be here. Also here today is Robin Wayne Bailey, uh, the author of numerous novels and series, including The Frost Adventures, The Dragonkin Trilogy, and The Brothers of the Dragon Trilogy. He's written over 150 short stories. He's also the, a former two-term president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America and a founder of the Science Fiction Hall of Fame. Robin, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And also on the line is Jim C. Hines. He's the author of 11 fantasy novels, including the Magic X Libris series, the Princess series of fairy tale retellings, and the humorous Goblin Quest trilogy. He's an active blogger, and he won the 2012 Hugo Award for Best Fan Writer. Uh, Jim, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for inviting me, David. Also, we've got Lee Martindale. Her short fiction has appeared in... Uh, Numerous anthologies, including Turn the Other Chick, and most recently a work of her, uh, uh, excuse me, a collection of her work entitled Bard's Road. She's edited two anthologies, Such a Pretty Face and The Ladies of Trade Town. She's also a lifetime active member of CEFWA, where she's serving her second term on the board of directors. Uh, she's a member of the SCA, a fencing member of the CEFWA Musketeers, and a named Bard. Lee, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, and finally, we've got Harry Turtledove. He is an escaped Byzantine historian who writes alternate history, science fiction, fantasy, and, when he can get away with it, historical fiction. Uh, recent and upcoming books of his include Joe Steele and The House of Daniel. He's also, uh, like some of our other uh Panelists here, participants here, he is a Chicks and Chainmail uh, veteran, having had stories in some of the early anthologies as well. Harry, thanks for coming on. It's very good to be here. I've had stories in all of them now, I think. Oh, excellent, excellent. So you are, a, you are definitely a veteran of the Chicks and Chainmail. All right, well, um, I just, Esther, I wanted to start with you. Uh, you are the creator of the Chicks and Chainmail series and uh, editor of the past volumes and co-editor of Chicks and Balances. I just wondered if you could give us a, a brief history of the series, uh, the origins, the other installments, um, anything funny or interesting that happened along the way uh, to getting these things published and uh, help those who maybe haven't, uh, aren't familiar with the series kind of get up to speed. I will be very happy to do that. The series got started when I was at a convention wandering around the art show. A bunch of my friends were criticizing a painting because it had the, um, the, the chick in chain mail. And they weren't objecting to the scantiness of the armor. They were objecting to the fact at the angle she was holding her sword and shield, she was going to get skewered really, really fast. And I wandered around the art show, and for some reason, my muse was waiting in a dark corner with a black jack, and she hit me over the head with the phrase, chicks in chain mail. 
Uh, and so I went running back to my friends going, chicks and chainmail, chicks and chainmail. And seeing as how it was me, uh, they just ignored the hysteria. And I cornered, uh, I'm sorry, I, I pitched the idea of a, of an anthology about women warriors, but with a sense of humor. Um, I'm a feminist. Oh dear, everyone run away now. And I have often heard the joke, how many feminists does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is, that's not funny. And feminists are supposed to not have a sense of humor. Well, newsflash, yeah. We've got a sense of humor. It's just that we know the difference between a joke and a cheap shot. And jokes are just fine. Jokes about us, no problem. But the cheap shots, no. If you can laugh at yourself, you're strong. So anyhow, I pitched this, um, and it was acquired by Bain Books, but the title was a bit of a temporary stumbling block because there was some concern that people might take offense at this title. And Jim Bain said, could we please have a disclaimer printed on the book to say that not my idea, blame her, blame her. So there was a disclaimer printed on the book and a disclaimer printed in the book. And a lot of the men who were not, ex well, I guess asked, some were asked, it was mostly an invitation only thing. Um, we had a lot of balks about this because, again, oh my gosh, they were afraid, what would people think? And I just sat there going, it's a joke, they'll think it's a joke, I hope they'll think it's a joke, it's a joke. So, um, we did get the book together, it was very popular, 1995, it's almost old enough to drink, and that led to the next and the next and the next, and uh, here's a very funny thing that happened, in one of the introductions, I wrote a poem about Lucy Lawless, who was playing Xena. Do you remember Xena, Warrior Princess? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, I wrote this intro, and um, what happened was I got an email. Uh, and the email was, hi, they've just opened up a Barnes & Noble in Wellington, New Zealand. And I noticed you had written a dedication poem to Lucy Lawless, and you ended by saying you wanted an autographed photo saying, to Binky, uh, Lucy Lawless, and would you still like this? I'm a stuntman on Xena. I can get this for you. And I said, yes, please. And I now have in my possession an autographed picture of Lucy Lawless that not only says to Binky, but also to me and my daughter, bad girls go everywhere, Lucy Lawless. So it's it's good to be the editor. And now we are up to number six, and I think that is wonderful because obviously people can take a joke. And the funny thing was that uh, the same powers that be that were a little bit concerned about the first title, none of the titles since the first have been my title. Second one, they threw a, con a little contest. But the third one, Chicks and Chained Males, that one was by Jim Bain himself. And that time, I was the one who said, I get the disclaimer that it's not my fault on the cover. And I got it. All right, John, Esther just uh, uh, brought us up to speed, uh, pretty much to Riot to Chicks and Balances, and uh, you are the co-editor on this one, and like I said in, in the intro, you have a history with the series. Um, tell us a little bit about this newest installment, how you got involved more directly in it, and uh, it's been a while. This uh, There was a little bit of a gap in time. How did the uh, how did we resurrect the Chicks and Chainmail series? Yes, well, it's, first of all, it's a great series to be a part of. I'm so, so pleased to be working with Esther on it, and hopefully, ideally working more. I hope this is not the last of the chicks 
in Chainmail series. Um, I'm not exactly sure how she did what she exactly said, but I, as you, you mentioned in my intro, that, that Martin E. Greenberg and Esther had worked on the previous four volumes, so this would be a fifth if I have to count correct. Uh, and what happened was after, unfortunately, Marty's passing in 2010, I left Techno Books to set up my own pretty much packaging company, Stonehenge Art and Word. And I've been working with authors such as um, Mercedes Lackey on her Valdemar and Elemental Masters anthologies. She and Esther shared the same agent, Russell Galen. So when this opportunity came about, they looked for someone who had experience with the chick's kind of uh, subgenre, shall we say. And my name came to the forefront as I helped with permissions and story editorial on the first four anthologies. I was more than happy to join on the fifth one and bringing chicks back uh, into publishing. Esther and I had a blast doing it, and we had so much fun. She was kind enough to throw my name on there, which I was happy to have on there. I think it's a great anthology. We have fantastic authors, fantastic stories, all staying with the milieu of the uh, humorous, fantastical stories that uh, Esther both writes and edits so well. Uh, and were you involved with uh, soliciting stories at all? I, we mentioned in uh, Harry and uh, Lee's uh, introductions that they're kind of veterans of the series, but there's also some new names here. Um, how did you guys, you or Esther, uh, go about kind of uh, selecting who is going to get to play in, the, the, in this universe? It was definitely a joint effort. Uh, from the moment we started talking about it, Esther and I were kicking around ideas, both old and new authors. We wanted people who the fans would come to know had delivered fantastic stories in the past, but also we were both aware of, of writers who had not had a chance to share in the Chicks uh, kind of universe that we knew could do fantastic work. An author who comes to mind for that right away is Elizabeth Vaughn. This is her first time appearing in a Chicks volume, but she's had this ongoing humorous fantasy series of this young lady who gets tied up in anthropomorphic talking animals and martial arts. And I knew once we had uh, the contract done that she would do a fantastic job for us. And so I approached her because I was aware of the series already. She graciously agreed to do another one, which is SmackDown at Walmart, continuing this series about this woman who just gets more and more involved in, in crazy fantasy stuff, kind of against her will, but she's kind of going to, to love it. And we have people like Kim Raby, who jumped on board as well, who was happy to come on board with her story. And it's just, it was, but very much so, Esther's the, the main editor of the project. She has you know, complete control over it. I'm there to facilitate and make sure we get the strongest anthology, the strongest collection of stories we can. So, but it's very much a joint effort on, on both our parts. Oh, oh, yeah. I just wanted to say that my history of doing anthologies, uh, the Chicks and Chainmail series, isn't the first one. When I started out, uh, I had very bad eyesight. So I worked on the invitation-only model of soliciting manuscripts because with my eyesight, I couldn't read a uh, an open uh, anthology, the number of submissions that would come in. And Chicks and Chainmail is also modified invitation only in that a lot of the people who are solicited for it come from the publisher's wish list, but sometimes a person cannot uh, meet the deadline or has too many other things on their plate. This, that, and the other happens. So it was wonderful working with John because John was just magnificent at you know helping find people who would be wonderful just additions to the roster uh and we don't call them veterans by the way we call them repeat offenders uh and uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we should that is so true uh, that is so true but i also like to say that word gets out uh, especially now with social media about anthologies, and people will say, I heard you are doing another Chicks and Chainmail anthology. May I submit something over the transom, as it were, although no one has transoms anymore. And I say yes, because you never know. I have found some delightful stories that have come in from people who were not on the invitation list, and I have bought them from the very first anthology that I did, which was called Alien Pregnant by Elvis, long ago. 
Yep, one of the classic doll anthologies. Yeah, also going with Marty. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the other thing to, to point out, and this is this is not, and I'm, and I'm not, I, I will not be denigrating anyone. Sometimes humorous fantasy can be difficult to write. I'll be completely honest. I've taken a shot at it a couple times. It's always one of the most difficult subgenres I've ever tried. And I think some writers find it easier, some don't. Sometimes a story comes in that's a perfectly fine fantasy story, but just doesn't fit the chick's guidelines. And in that case, sometimes we have to we have to say, I'm sorry, it doesn't quite work for us. And then there's a hole to fill. And we, I was able to find authors that luckily were able to come through for us, sometimes in very short order with magnificent stories as well. It's nothing against those authors who submitted. It's just humorous, fantasy, can be difficult to hit on the nose. I think you uh, certainly... Uh you found a pretty good collection of people who were able to to hit it here. Um, one of those people is Jim C. Hines. Uh, Jim, I wanted to talk to you. Your story is a uh, pretty major reworking of a fairy tale, or rather multiple fairy tales kind of braided into one. Um, this is something you do a bit of. We uh, mentioned your um, series uh, in your in your intro there. Um, and I just wondered if you could speak to why is it do you think that we're drawn to these fairy tale stories, uh, both in their original form still, and then also we uh, we love to read reworkings like the one that you do, where people take these characters and reimagine them. And what is it to you as a writer that is appealing about that? And what is it do you think to readers that, that keeps us drawn to these uh, these tales? Sure. Um, well, I think the tales themselves... Part of it is probably familiarity. Uh, we grow up, um, at least here in the United States, most of us grow up hearing versions of these fairy tales. They're a very common point of cultural reference for most of us. And it's it creates that connection. It creates that familiarity. Uh, somebody can say, hey, you know, this is a Goldilocks thing. Most people will get what you're talking about. Um, and there's also the fact that fairy tales tend to go for very broad themes and lessons. Um, they, were, they were originally told as warnings, as a way to teach kids that no, going in and stealing from people is bad. Breaking into people's houses is bad. Eating people's houses, also bad. <laughs> but they're... They're, they're just sort of basic, um, pretty straightforward lessons with plenty of action. And if you bypass Disney and go to the original ones, some of the gruesome and gross and gory endings that a lot of little kids enjoy. Um, so then when it comes time to start playing with them, um, it means I've got I've got a starting point. I've got a reference point that people can connect to. It gives them an entry into the story I'm working on. Uh, I can say, look, Red Riding Hood. People get an image in their mind, and then I can add, plus she's an assassin. They can go with me for that because they've already had the starting point. Um, so as a writer, I first started playing with them um, it, it was a personal thing. My daughter was going through a princess phase, and a lot of the merchandise, a lot of the Disney stuff, it's like, okay, this is nice, but I look at all of the stuff you're buying, and there's more to being a fairy tale princess than just being pretty. So I wanted to craft a different version of those stories for her. Uh, and one of the nice things about working with fairy tales, aside from the fact that they're public domain and you don't get sued, is I can go back and look at them from 21st century perspective and say, okay, what's missing in these stories? What's changed in the context of these stories? Who is missing in these stories? Um, a lot of the stories, you know, you get the prince going off to rescue the princess. Well, what's she been up to all this time? Why is she just waiting around in the tower? Why doesn't she get out and do something? It gives me the chance to give life to those characters that got overlooked. Plus, you know, fairy tale heroines as biker gang type characters, that's just fun. Yeah, and we should, that's kind of what, so your story, um, 
the title of which is escaping me at the moment. The girls from the hood. And uh, yeah, could you maybe just kind of, I don't want, you know, with short stories, the trick about talking about them is you don't want to give too much away, but maybe you can just kind of introduce your setup to kind of whet people's appetite for, um, because yeah, uh, fairy tale princesses as biker gag. I think that kind of sums it up, but maybe just give us a little intro into the world of that story. The story opens with a woman called Stepmama, who is the leader of the Red Riding Hoods, and she is confronting a hunter named Roland over a princess that he has supposedly killed and ripped out her heart and brought it to the queen, as one does. Backing up Stepmama are a woman named Legs, an ex-mermaid, another woman named Ash, who carries an enchanted glass sword, and a woman named Goldie, who seems to have this fondness for bears. And basically, together, they ride around, and they're trying to figure out what happened to this princess and put things right, and just generally be badass in the process. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and I think um, what you're saying, you can, you, it's got a, uh, a certainly a different take, and I think that's part of the fun of it is sort of, you know, recognizing, oh, hey, I see what he's doing, you know, what he's doing there, uh, which reminds me of another story, Terry Turtledove, your story, The Mammoth, uh, and I was thinking as I was reading it that you could come up with a drinking game where you take a drink every time there's like a clever pun or reference, but you'd just be drunk before you turn the first page, so uh, maybe it's not such thank, a good drinking thank, game. Thank you, I'm, I'm, I'm a sick puppy, I know that. Yeah. Um, Every once in a while it has to come out. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy doing chick stories so much, because they give it an excuse or an opportunity or whatever you want to come out, and it came out. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's just chock full of stuff. I think there's Broadway musicals, Muppets, uh, Donovan, the pop singer from back in the day, is referenced. Just, I'm, I'm sure I missed half of it, um, but it was a ton of fun to read. And um, in it, the the characters are very, they seem very aware that they're it characters in a story. And the narrator is very aware that he is narrating. And uh, one of the things he hits on, the narrator hits on is, he says a couple times the difference between writing science fiction and fantasy is, if this was science fiction, I'd have to come up with some goofy reason why this is plausible. But in fantasy, I can just gloss over that. And uh, I just wondered, you know, you write stuff that is very researched and very detailed and very plausible feeling, but this is not that. This is a, a fun, uh, let-your-hair-down kind of story. <laughs> and I wondered if you could just talk about the process of writing. Just that the research kind of runs in a different direction because it's research into how can I distort the English language and the characters. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's research. It's just not the kind of research that I usually do. It's the weird stuff. <laughs> it's how Harry could make a meta-meta chick story, which I think is one of the first ones we've had, which is absolutely brilliant. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's ton of fun. I, I almost don't know how to talk about it without just... It's really something you have to experience, right? To, you have to read it for yourself. So. You know, I mean... It, the, the the title is The Mammoth, and it's spelled M-A-M-M-Y-T-H. And there is a metronome in the story, and he's spelled M-E-T-R-O-G-N-O-M-E. Now, I wrote oh. these both down on Post-it notes years ago, literally years ago, having no idea what I was going to do with them. Then Esther said, hey, you want to do another chick story? And I found something to do with them. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, you, 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 you accumulate weirdness the same way you accumulate any other kind of research. It just sits there and you wait for something to light a fuse and eventually it explodes in your face. And that's what the story is. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh, well, I, I, it just, it's a, it's a blast to read. It seemed like it was a blast to, to write. Um, and like I said, I, is it, oh, let me ask you this, I guess then, uh, get a little bit in the technical side of things. Is this something that you 
work and rework and add more and more puns and more and more references to, or is this a seat of your pants kind of thing just comes to you as you're sitting at the, at the, I had no idea where I was going with this thing. I just started rolling with it and I thought, okay, can I stay funny long enough to get to something that might be an ending? And I hope I did. Well, I, I was laughing to, to the end. So, uh, uh We'll leave it there. I'd like I said, I don't want to, this is one of those, it's like a joke. If you explain it too much, it kills it. So uh, I will just encourage everyone, to, of course, to pick up the anthology for all the stories, but uh, Harry's is definitely one that has to be read um, for sure. So um, This is not a book Lee, that let me put aside lightly. It should be thrown against the wall with great force. Thank you, Dorothy <laughs> Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Lee, let's talk about your story, uh, and Your Enemies Closer is the title, and um, there's a conflict, a humorous conflict, but a conflict uh, between magic and reality kind of in your story, or or rather between those who wield magic and those who don't. And it kind of made me think, I, you know, I never thought of it this way, but there's this, that tension sort of runs throughout a lot of fantasy stories, because there'll be this you know, magic system, but it's really typically only controlled by a small group, you know, of, of wizards or mages. And uh, the rest of the population sort of lives in a world of magic, but which they don't really have much directly to do with or can't control. And I just wonder if you could talk about your story and maybe how that conflict uh, plays out uh, rather humorously, um, how you presented that. Well, first of all, you, you've got me following the master. I, I don't think that's fair. <laughs> Uh, and the other other thing is, um, as I was listening to you describe this, my first thought is to say, I'll let you know as soon as I write a story like that. (laughs) Um, but to a a certain extent, you, you, you may be right, uh, in the setup, (laughs) excuse me. Um, there is a time honored tradition, uh, Bardcraft calls it the right of ridicule. Uh, of using humor to examine, uh, well, less than desirable human traits one encounters from time to time. Um, in And Your Enemy's Closer, um, magic wasn't the point of the story. Magic was a stand-in. Uh, a stand-in for things like social connections, societal standing, position, office. Uh, things that some people feel entitled to be what Bill Fryberry, as I've heard say, heard called uh, special snowflakes. <laughs> uh, the mage was one of these special snowflakes. Um, she's what we used to refer to back in the Dark Ages when I was in high school as mean girls. Um, you've probably heard the term. Uh, we've all encountered them from time to time. Um, so I got to basically... Okay, let's be honest. I got to give a mean girl her comeuppance. And um, to to paraphrase a Klingon saying, revenge really is a dish that's best served at six words a minute or up. So essentially, that's where that story came from. Okay, yeah, so sort of a little bit of a revenge there. And um, do you want to just kind of, uh, again, uh, just give a brief little synopsis for, for people kind of, like I said, whet their appetite of uh, what's going on uh, in the story and, and what the setup is? Certainly. Um, this is the second appearance in, in a chick's book of Horatia the Heroic, uh, a lady of, shall we say, heroic proportions and um, sometimes a very bad attitude. She doesn't care for mages as much, um, as evidenced by the story that was in turn the other chick. She's just back from having to have from having gotten her armor replaced. That story was called Combat Shopping, and I'm still getting fan mail from that one from women who have and men uh, who have trouble finding clothes for you know special clothes for special things if they're not a size three junior petite. Um, I know something about that. Um, she's back. She's got her armor, and she's being sent out on another mission with a mage uh, to recover something and she really doesn't want to go but and the mage doesn't want to really want to go with her but um, 
let us just say that hijinks ensue. Yeah, I think that's fair statement. Uh, hijinks ensue. Um, well, thanks, uh, Robin. I'm gonna we'll wrap it up with you. Or um, actually, I've got a final question for everybody. But uh, let me just turn to your story. Um, part of the fun of this series, Chicks and Chainmail, is I said gentle poking fun at some fantasy tropes, but I think it's having fun with fantasy tropes more than poking fun at them. Um, and you kind of take this to an extreme a little bit and uh, have some fun with kind of fandom and the science fiction and fantasy world um, in the story, which is called Rabid Weasels, which that's that's a tip off right there. What this is, what this, what's going on here? Uh, you know, the main character talks about fighting in the Flame Wars of Sefwa, S-E-F-W-A. Um, and I just wonder, it, it's just full of these kind of things. And uh, without reopening old wounds, maybe, if we could, uh, if you could just talk about some of the inspiration of this and some of the things you're satirizing and riffing on and you know how the Chicks and Chainmail series, is, this is sort of the perfect place to do that, I think. Okay, I'll uh, try not to get into too much trouble here. When I wrote this story for Esther, I assumed that she might very well reject it. Um, I named names in the original draft, uh, and it all referred to, a, to you know, episode number 599 of Silly Sefwa uh, Wars. And I have great respect for Sefwa. I was very happy to be a president for it. But the, the arguments sometimes become petty and silly. And the introduction of uh, the opportunity to write a new chick story after uh, long hiatus happened to fall at the pinnacle of yet another uh, yet another battle, this uh, time over the cover of, of a bulletin uh, that featured a chicken in chainmail standing over a troll with a sword. And uh, so I had great fun. I had that cover in front of me, literally in front of the computer, as I wrote that story. Um, I expected Esther to reject it, so I wrote a second story. And it turned out that she liked the story. She just wanted to change a few of the names, which I agreed to do. But I gave her six about it, I think. Um, but it's a very funny story, I think. And it works even if you don't know the uh, about the, the uh, argument that was the springboard for the story. But good fantasy, I think, often satirizes, is, is as much satire as it is. Slapstick humor, and so I really just wanted to to have fun with this, take a little revenge on some people, and tell a good story in the process. Uh, and I think I did that. I'm I'm pretty pleased with the uh, the way Rabbit Weasels came out, and the second story that it, it turned out to be a big uh, a nice little windfall in a sense because the story that I wrote for her to replace Rabbit Weasels I subsequently also sold to a another anthology. Um, so it's sort of a twofer for me. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about the uh, the bulletin um, kerfuffle, but the uh, your main character, now that I think about it, is described, you know, you said you had that uh, on your desk or behind your desk. I, I can now see some inspiration there for that. Um, so, uh, yeah, and I think, you know, <clears throat> these these debates and arguments get very serious. I think sometimes, you know, taking a step back uh, and kind of laughing about it is often the right approach. And I think you handled it really well here. Um, I just wanted to, so wrap up here quickly uh, with asking everybody to go around the circle and as it were metaphorically and if and maybe if you got some recommendations if you if you like chicks and balances then you should check out uh, and fill in the blank and obviously the first books in the series are uh go without saying if you like chicks and balances you should check out those others but um esther how about starting with you you are the creator of this uh what what would where would you steer people who enjoyed these and uh are looking for more Oh my goodness. Uh I I have not the very funny thing is that I was just thinking if you want to find some really good funny stuff that isn't fantasy but that is a marvelous source of inspiration to draw from history, you should read the cartoon history of the universe by Larry Gonick because 
Well, it may not have a bunch of chicks and chainmail, but it does have things like uh, famous women who were a lot tougher than your typical princess um, that you may not have known existed. And it is presented so that you will remember it with drawings, it being graphic novel, and with a lot of humor. Uh, for instance, do you know that there was, I believe she was an Ethiopian Jewish princess or queen who wound up uh, ruling, I forget I forget if it was Ethiopia or not, but he presents her as the, you never call, you never write, you never invade where I send you. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> history can be darn funny, as I think Herr Turtledove will bear me out in this. So I have little, no idea yes. what you're talking about. Of course you don't. So I would suggest that, and I would also suggest it's not exactly women in armor, but it is definitely a different sort of um, a woman warrior, Gail Carriger's Soulless series, a proper Victorian woman with strange powers, doing absolutely incredibly adventurous things, but always having tea. All right. Um, John, how about you? What, where would you steer? Yeah. Where would you steer, steer people, John? Yeah. Um, well, uh, if you're looking for one that like tricks, balance, I think fantasy humor, but also good messages. Uh, the, the, um, the science novels of Piers Anthony are a good jumping off point as well. For science fiction, I think uh, Fool's Company, the Robert Ashburn series, and the Jim DeGriz, Harry Harrison's uh, uh, Stainless Steel Rat also do a nice job of satirizing certain elements of uh, both society and fandom and the genres that they, that they kind of poke fun at. Uh, those are my choices. I also, right, all these writers uh, here, to be yeah. quite honest, all of them who have novels out in various genres, I cannot leave that out. Harry, Lee, Jody, Jim, all of them. You can't go wrong with anyone in this book, to be quite honest. Yeah, everyone's being polite and not plugging themselves, but uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely worth. Ch I I agree. Definitely worth checking out. Um, Lee, how about you? You got any recommendations? I do indeed. Um, I am going to strongly recommend for anyone who loves tripping across uh, cultural reference, pop culture references. Um, excellent writing that that keeps you right with it. And some really interesting characters. I'm going to recommend Jim Z. Hines' Librio-Mancer series. Um, I, I've Aww. devoured at least ah, I've devoured at least three of them. Um, and I woke my husband up laughing. <laughs> I read I read books before I go to sleep, and I I I I, I well I. I had to explain to him what was making me laugh in bed besides him. Um, so I, I strongly recommend that one. And um, I'm not shy. I'm going to recommend Bard's Road, my own collection. Uh, if you like what I did in Chicks, uh, there's more of the same in that. Uh, and, and also I go off in many different directions. Uh, but by all means, check out the Libre of Answer series. Jim, I think you need to get that as a pull quote from Lee. I woke my husband up in bed last. There you go. <laughs> and as long as, as long as we specify it's about the book and not about other things. Yeah, well, that's up to the, the, uh, the viewer's imagination, I suppose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Jim, how about you? What do you? Uh, where would you steer people? Um, I'd probably start. Um, Esther mentioned she had edited a number of other novels, or novels, anthologies. Three that come to mind were a series of humorous urban fantasy, uh, Which Way to the Mall, Strip Mauled, and Fangs for the, Mem for the Mammaries. Uh, all three fault. of them. <laughs> oh, whose fault was that? Okay, that the third contest, one, they ran a contest. Which, by the way, was how they got the titles for Chicks. Uh, did you say Chicks? Um, the Chick is in the Mail, Robin. That was yours, wasn't it? Yep. And Robin, are you responsible for any other Chicks titles? No, I've been begging you for the next title, which should be Chickmate. 
All right. Oh, that's a great one. Oh, my. That's I excellent. would like to pitch a story for Chickmate when it's ready. We've got votes there. Yeah. Uh, me do. Me do. I rather yeah, like um, the idea. We have to do the I'm only, I'm only a because... pawn in this game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Here, you're, Before at least evolves... you're at least a knight. No, I'm Before knighted, this evolves that's too much further. Thing. <laughs> I did have one other recommendation I wanted to try and throw out there before sure. this computer Please. spirals. Um, the graphic novel series Rat Queens, uh, which is up for a Hugo Award this year, uh, it has some humor and it has a lot of that same action sensibility that I've gotten from some of the Chicks anthologies, and I just loved it. It was a lot of fun. All right, great. Um, Harry, uh, what do you think? Harry Turtle Dove, what, where would you send folks next? Well, let's see. I, I think I, w- I would send them into the Wayback Machine and go with Sprague Camp and Fletcher Pratt's Incomplete Enchanter stories to start with. Ooh. Heinlein's Magic Incorporated, Paul Anderson's Operation mm. Chaos Universe stories. Uh, oh, yeah. And the other place I'd send them... Uh, well, obviously, of course, uh, the late Sir Terry Pratchett, anything of his is demented in this particular way. Uh, and, I, I, and I'm also going to shamelessly plug my own case of the toxic spell dump, which is going to be re-released in ebook and trade paperback by Open Road later this year. So... So I've, I've got I've got one coming out again. So the, you you have been warned, world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ed. Finally, uh, Robin, what do you think? Oh, I'm going to plug up an upcoming project. I think. Um, yeah, it'll work. I had so much fun with the the chicks books that I had been after Esther for some time to do a science fictional version of chicks, um, but. She had had uh, demurred each time, and so finally, after some discussion with her and with a friend of mine who is uh, an, also an editor named Brian Thomas Schmidt, we sold an anthology of Cobain books called Little Green Men Attack, and these will be humorous science fiction stories, hopefully in the vein of uh, Frederick Brown and uh, Robert Sheckley and... Uh, um, very funny science fiction work like that, and uh, I believe we're due to turn that in in February of twenty of next year, and hopefully later that year it will be out. That's called Little Green Men Attack, and I owe the idea to Esther as I owe her so much. Uh, Revenge is ninety percent of living, isn't it, Esther? I owe you a lot, <laughs> and you owe me a story for the anthology. I know when is story. it due? I've been working on it. <laughs> Tentatively, the first of August. August, but, thank uh, God. I'm very excited about that anthology. It's given me an opportunity <laughs> to go back and read a lot of funny science fiction, uh, and I hope the anthology yeah. will continue in, in the vein of Frederick Brown and Shuckley and these great authors. Yeah, will this be all originals? Or are you doing some reprints mixed in there? or? No, these will be all original science fiction stories. All right, great. Yeah, we'll look forward to that from Bain, and um, I may we may do a podcast. I bet we will. Uh, I may get lucky and get to sit in on that. So um, we will look forward to it. I have to say, just really quickly, I have sold a lot of stories to Bain Books anthologies, and I've always really wanted to work with Tony and the staff there. So I'm really excited about about being part of the Bain team now and doing this book with them. So thanks to all the team there. All right, guys. Well, uh, we've been talking about Chicks and Balances. It's the new entry in the Chicks and Chainmail series. It'll be out uh, July 7th, come out July 7th in trade paperback, available at fine and probably disreputable booksellers everywhere. I just want to thank everybody, uh, Esther Friesner, Harry Turtledove, uh, Lee Martindale, Robin Wayne Bailey, Jim C. Hines, and John Helfers for being here today and talking about the chicks and chain mail. Um, I probably should have a clever pun here to close, but I don't have one, so I will just say uh, thank you so much, everybody, for sitting in on this. Thank you. It's thank you, my pleasure. pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you. 
All right, hey everybody, you may have thought that was the end, but you were wrong. We've got a bonus interview here for you. Jody Lynn Nye was supposed to join us for our discussion, but unfortunately was unable to make it at the last minute. But we decided it wouldn't be a Chicks and Chainmail roundtable without her, so she is on the line now. Jody's written over 40 books, including The Ship Who Won with Anne McCaffrey, eight books with Robert Asprin, a humorous anthology about mothers called Don't Forget Your Spacesuit, Dear, and more than 115 short stories. Her latest books are Dragon's Run and Fortunes of Imperium from Bane Books. Jody, I'm so glad that we could have you on to discuss uh, Chicks and Balances. How are you today? Um, I'm, I'm very well. Thank you for having me, David. Absolutely. So I just wanted you to um, maybe whet the reader's appetite for uh, your story leads off the Chicks and Balances. Uh, it's called uh, A Chick Off the Old Block. Um, if you would just kind of tease us, tell us what uh, kind of the story is about uh, so people will want to rush out and buy the anthology and read your story as well as the others, if you would, please. Well, my story is about Jess, a woman at arms who is the personal server of the Duchess Caitlin, a young woman who is uh, just about of marrying age in, in the Duchy of Chaldee, and she's uh, she has done her best to look after the girl, even though she does not have a noble upbringing herself, uh, she, but she has taught her to be self-sufficient, and her fiancé is coming to visit, but it turns out not to be her fiancé at the door. It's a... Uh, I, I thought it turned out a lot of fun. It, it was uh, it was fun to do. It, all of these stories always are. Yeah, which was another question I wanted to ask you, which um, I called uh, Harry Turtledove and some of the other contributors veterans of the Chicks and Chainmail series uh, on the roundtable, but Esther uh, corrected me and said you, sh you all should be called repeat offenders, not veterans. Uh, so, uh, you have been in, I believe, all but one of the uh, Chicks and Chainmail anthologies. Is that right? Is it all but one? That is correct. There was there was yeah. one book that uh, had a lot of new writers, but not very many of the veterans. Or <laughs> I think Repeat Offenders is a perfect title, <laughs> title for us. <laughs> right. Well, if you would just, um, Esther kind of uh, on the roundtable walked us through her side of the history of how this came about. But if you would just, yeah, maybe talk about your experience over the years. It's been 20 years now since the first one. Uh, we talked about that. Of uh, joining the Chicks and Chainmail uh, repeat offenders and uh, some of your stories throughout the years and what it has been, what it was like coming back to it, because uh, there was a little bit of a gap b between the last one and this book, uh, what it was like stepping back into that, that world. I was delighted uh, when Esther said that there was going to be another Chicks and Chainmail anthology. Very, very sorry for the long delay. Uh, because the first ones were such enormous fun. The, the first story that I wrote for Chicks and Chain Mail was called The Growling, which uh, its its working title was Armed and with PMS. So it was uh, more more of a farce than anything else, and I had huge fun with that. So for me, uh, walking back into the mindset of writing a story about women, armor, and humor, uh, it, I was just delighted to do so. Everybody has approached. The, the concept in such different ways, it's just fantastic, and I just love it. So I'm very happy that Esther wanted to do it again and that Bain Books was willing to buy another one. Yeah, absolutely. That's an important uh, part of the equation, I guess. Um, they were, uh, you weren't on, but uh, the listeners will know this, they were already uh, at the end, uh, John Helfers and Esther were scheming about another book. So uh, I'm sure they will keep you on speed dial for that. So <laughs> I don't know what uh, Tony Weisskopf, if she knows about this, but they were they were scheming. So uh, hopefully this will not be the end of the Chicks and Chainmail series. Um, so was this story in this one, was this a new world you had created, or is this some, uh, a world that was featured in maybe some of your other Chicks and Balances story, or some of your other work, or is this, is this a, a, it's self-contained, you don't have to know anything else about, but, or was this, is this part of a bigger universe you've created, or is this just a standalone? No, unless it's part of a series, a story that's uh, set in this series, uh, my stories for the Unidentified Funny Objects um, anthology series, those are in fact all part of the same world, but I do world building afresh for each individual story, 
none of them is set in the same world as the other. I try to come okay. to each Chicks and Chainmail story uh, as a fresh approach, someplace that I haven't been before, someplace that I haven't approached before. Yeah, well, and I think it's a it's a great venue for that. Um, like you said, there's it's a wide variety. You know, it, it's one of those. This is what I love about anthologies, is I love to see, you know, you. I think you described it well. What is it? Uh, women, armor, and humor, right? That's your formula. Now do whatever you want with it. And I think that's... Uh, I always love to see where different people take things, you know, uh, with a themed anthology like this or themed series like this. So uh, it just seems like it's it's a lot of fun to do. So, um, well, uh hate to cut it short here, but I think... You know, we uh, we kind of hit hit things, but I was going to ask you. I asked everybody at the end of the last uh, discussion um, if if you had a book or movie or a story of yours uh, besides the others in the Chicks and Chainmail series that you, know, you might want to recommend to people uh, take a look at. Uh, you know, if they, if they liked the Chicks and Chicks and Balances, where should they go? Absolutely, go back and get all of the other Chicks and Chainmail anthologies because they are such fun. <laughs> I, I think that these are unique in the things that I have written. Uh, they, they are a thing apart. Uh, I, I think that if you enjoyed my humor, uh, you might go back and look at some of my other stories. Uh, the, this particular story skews a little younger than some of the other ones that I've, I've written for chicks. Uh, so you might be interested in my Mythology 101 series, which is uh, currently being produced by Wordfire Press. And if you just like some uh, screwy, fun humor, uh, my Imperium series, which does come out from Bane Books, uh, there are two so far, View from the Imperium, Fortunes of the Imperium, which you have mentioned, and coming in December, Rhythm of the Imperium. Yeah, if you didn't plug that, I was actually going to. Yeah, they're sort of a, um, a Bane, uh, some of the ad copy and stuff is sort of a PG Wodehouse in space, right? That's kind of the my characters as the Jeeves and Wooster of uh, outer space in the far future. And I, I think that they're great fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much. I'm glad we got to have you on. It, it didn't feel complete without you. So I will just uh, close by saying thank you and uh, remind everybody listening once again that Chicks and Balances is out now from Bain Books. Uh, Jody, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on, David. Now we continue with our complete audiobook serialization of John Ringo's Under a Graveyard Sky. This portion of Under a Graveyard Sky is provided by Audible.com. Get the complete audiobook at Audible.com now. If you're not a subscriber, you can get the entire audiobook free or choose from more than 100,000 other titles when you try Audible free for 30 days. Now here is another segment of John Ringo's novel of zombie infestation and the heroic humans who fight back, determined to pull the world from disaster and humanity itself from the brink of annihilation. It's all taking place under a graveyard sky. And this is our culprit, Dr. Titus Wong said, sliding a cursor across the screen to point to a very obvious red nodule on the spinal material, in a different configuration. Dr. Curry was eating popcorn as he watched the video conference, arranged by the WHO for interested parties only. The more or less continuous and continuously encrypted conference was collating the ongoing study of the Pacific flu. Curry's new employers had ensured he was included in interested parties. With the news out, carefully avoiding the word zombie, the news media was going nuts as was every epidemiology group in the world. This was the first real wildfire they'd ever contained, and it was turning out to be a doozy. This is a SEM view, Wong said. Wong was the Los Angeles Medical Examiner's Office specialist in infectious diseases, a certified ME and MD with a pathology specialty and an additional specialty in infectious diseases. He was still considered a bit of a plotter by most of the people viewing the slides. On the other hand, he was at the epicenter, which, for once, was not in some remote, usually tropical country. Well, 
remote to the developed nations. It was local to the people dying. Natural color, SEM, that is, in fact, its color. Question from Dr. Senger Stockholm. The conference was currently under control of Dr. Addis Bahara, Deputy Underminister for Operations and Response of the WHO. Dave knew Addy and liked him. He was one sharp Ethiopian, and he was a professional, unlike the head of the WHO, who was chosen mostly for his connections. That has a remarkable resemblance to rabies, the senior WHO representative for Sweden said, with the exception of the color. There have been no indications of motor impairment. We have seen patients with notable motor impairment, Dr. Wong replied. Information lag, yet I take your meaning. The nodules are grossly similar to rabies, but they seem to have a different effect, and rabies is not airborne. Telling Sven Sengar, who'd earned any award in virology you'd care to name, short of the Nobel, that the rabies wasn't airborne, was one of the reasons that Wong was a pathologist buried in the basement of the L.A. morgue. I said has a resemblance to rabies, Svengar replied evenly. Have you attempted to test the Pasteur method for a vaccine? We don't do vaccines, Wong said, just autopsies. CDC? We'll begin examining it immediately. James Dobson, like Addis, was one of the tech specialists at CDC, but also a decent political animal. Decent being defined as good at politics while still holding on to some semblance of a brain. I'd have said a week ago that Pasteur method was cracked, but this pathogen has me wondering if I know basic biochemistry. Dr. Kwai, Thailand. Is there any additional information as to the origin? Dr. Kwai asked. There was a brief pause as people wondered who was supposed to answer that one. CDC? No, Dr. Dobson said. Computer analysis is showing that it was probably distributed in public venues, notably airports and bus stations on the west coast of the United States, beginning some two weeks ago. Method of vectoring is still unknown, and there are no known suspects. For that matter, models indicate it's still being spread, including in airports and bus stations. FBI has various ideas, but quietly they're admitting that there are no hard leads. We and Usamred are cooperating... But after the anthrax debacle, getting cooperation is... harder. No shit, Curry muttered. The entire anthrax investigation had put researchers on notice that the FBI cared a lot less about science or rationality than politics. That in fact, the DOJ didn't have the slightest clue about molecular biology and could care less. The only suspects who were ever identified and they were publicly identified well in advance of even the thinnest tread of evidence, were professional researchers from USAMRID, the U.S. Army's version of the CDC. Both of the accused researchers had also been on the teams at USAMRID, advising the FBI. In neither case was there any real indication that either researcher had created the anthrax spread shortly after the 9-11 bombings, but the FBI was Johnny on the spot with accusations. As far as most epidemiologists were concerned, if you could explain to the FBI how something worked, in other words, if you had the ability to do it, it meant to whoever you were talking, you were the current prime suspect, which meant that nobody in their right mind in the industry wanted to explain anything to an FBI agent. Of course, clamming up and being uncooperative also made you a prime suspect. Catch-22. The attack on the basis of no real evidence except ability had finally been pinned on a minor researcher who had, basically, really serious personality problems, not uncommon in any intellectual community, and who very conveniently committed suicide when he realized the FBI was going to out him, which just meant he was a geek, not a mad scientist, with a good scapegoat, the best kind, because he was, you know dead. The FBI officially closed the case and declared victory in our time. Despite the fact that neither researcher ever was shown to have access to the specific genetic strain, and that the specific method of creating the coat of weaponized anthrax was a closely held Soviet secret. Nobody in the U.S. had ever produced it, or knew exactly how. And the specific genetic strain used in the attacks 
was found in no U.S. inventory. From a microbiological perspective, where it came from was as mysterious as the Roswell landings. Pretty much anybody with a Ph.D. or master's in molecular cellular biology or related fields now consider the DOJ and FIBIs their main opponents in any future bioterror attacks. Which, given that both sides were necessary to work the problem, made this situation that much harder. And the FBI and DOJ had nobody to blame but themselves. However, there is a database of all similar experiments being conducted in the U.S., and there are none that are even close. So it didn't, officially, come from any of our universities or research centers. And there weren't any unofficial ones that come close. In fact, there are so many breakthroughs on this one. No, there are no suspects. No suspect facilities, no suspect individuals, and we're still trying to figure out the vector. That was another segment in our complete audiobook serialization of Under a Graveyard Sky by John Ringo. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com, to Bain Associate Editor David Afsharirod, and to podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. And a thumbs up after bloody combat over the funny bones of an arena full of eager readers. Plus 12, much chastened Lords of Leaping, singing thanks and praise to the editors and authors of new short story anthology Chicks in Balances. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy. And keep reaching for the stars. Stars.